You are tuned in to the PBE podcast. This episode is from the live show we did, Cinco de Mayo, Midland, Texas, Kenfrack. Kenfrack is a revolutionary fracking technology that we brought into the Permian Basin because that is where innovation was born. And that was the only place we could bring with such exciting news to the industry. It had to have happened in Midland, and we did it. We pulled it off. We couldn't have done it without BRT Energy Advisors. Alan Bertain, the support, the diamond sponsorship to make that happen was huge. Bear Claw, Rogers Ford, Enturo Capital, Cimarron Energy. Thank you guys so much for the support. We look forward to doing it again soon. Kinfrac technology is, is exciting because you can actually invest in it right now. You can actually be a part of building the prototype, designing the first set of tests, modeling, and and bringing to life this truly revolutionary technology and the potential that it has to make a drastic impact for our industry. I'm excited about that. PBE Podcast crew is excited about that. If you are interested in more information about that, please reach out to us and let's join together. Let's build a team of investors, of professionals that can actually develop this technology and prove the industry is ready for this step change. Enjoy the show. Skippo, we are now getting into more of the traditional PBE podcast where yeah. we actually have a guest. We actually have a pointed show for tonight with Ken Frack. That's what we're gearing up for. Oh, yeah. What do you think, man? I'm excited. I'm excited to do it live. I'm excited to do it in person with, you know, all these amazing people here. And I'm excited to learn about something new and something, you know, completely innovative. Yep. Amazing story. So... Mr. Mike Verhooks, please join us on stage. Can we get a little bit of noise for Mr. Mike Verhooks? Three, two, two one. Let's go! Oh, yes! <laughs> Running it back! Running it back! We're in Midland. Ah, it feels good. It feels good, man. Let's rock it back. Let's talk about this show. Let's, let's go around the horn real quick of really what dropped out for us, but... Before that happens, we usually have LinkedIn or some paper that I printed out as I Google people and find these interesting things. We don't have that. What we do have in this live show is Mike Verhooks himself. Please, sir, what happened in the beginning of your career? How did you become Mike Verhooks, the geophysicist that you are? Give us a synopsis of your career. Got a geology degree from Baylor. Went to work for Western Geophysical in 1972. Let's go. 1972. Right. We had nine-track tapes, analog recording, punch cards for data processing. <laughs> a 48-channel DFS-5 recording system was state of the art. Nothing wow. digital. Wow. I, I did front-end processing work in Bakersfield for a company called Shell Oil. They had two 128-channel systems, and that was state-of-the-art. Wow. They were piggybacked together, and I did demultiplexing for them, if you know what that is. No. The, way, the way things were Multiple. recorded back then, sample, trace one, sample one was recorded, then trace two, sample one, then trace three, sample one, and all that had to be rearranged into the right order so that trace <laughs> one, sample one, was followed by trace one, sample two. Wow. That was called demultiplexing, and the state of the art of the computer industry then was they couldn't do that in real time in the recording truck, so I had a dedicated large computer, a time-app system, if you're... I'm, this is all ancient history. This is back when dinosaurs <laughs> ruled the world. Um, the, I, all I did was front-end processing for them so because they, they couldn't handle it. Um, and we went from that to I, I eventually transitioned from data processing with ARCO, Atlantic Richfield Oil and Gas, into uh, data acquisition because ARCO wanted to 
start designing 3D surveys. This was when 3D surveys were in their infancy and I was processing so I could design one. They couldn't in the acquisition department. So I was interfacing with them, design, you know, taking their ideas and putting them into reality, making spider charts and stuff of what the, what coverage would wow. look like underground and stuff. And they were trying to develop programs that would analyze velocities in three dimensions or, uh, or, you know, get CDP coupling in three dimensions. One of the first 3Ds that we processed was uh, a GSI survey up on the North Slope. Back then, 3D was just glorified 2D. There were swaths of data. And, and when we got done processing it, an inline section looked fine, but a cross-line section had all kinds of static shifts from swath to swath. You could see where each swath was. So we weren't coupling the underground information in a 3D sense. And those are all things that we learned back then in, in, at the wow. inception of 3D. So it was an exciting time. And then we went to digital and VSPs and uh, micro seismic and inversion techniques. And it just all eventually got past me. So wow. yeah, I'm, I'm done. I, 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 the last 10 years of my career, I've just been a client liaison in in the vernacular, we call them bird dogs. I represent a, a, an oil company with a seismic crew out in the field and make sure they're doing it safely and they're doing it correctly. So quality assurance, yeah. that's, that's kind of been, I'm, I much prefer that to processing. I could process data for eight hours and come home, she can tell you, just fall dead in bed. But when you're out in the field with real world problems that you got to fix immediately, it, it, that's neat stuff. And wow, so that ties into the IFF. I've had a wonderful man. career. Yeah, we, I got sent to Ethiopia and Syria. We lived in Australia for a couple of years. I, I worked in um, Kazakhstan. I um, grew up in a cornfield in Illinois, th never thinking I'd go outside of that cornfield wow. and got to travel all around the world. So it was, it was, a, it was a great career. But that's enough about me. Wow. Right on. Skippo, anybody that wants to come up and talk about Kim Frack, ask questions, anything like that, please come up, grab the microphone if you'd like to. This is your time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> Albertane, I know he's, he definitely was excited about your geophysical he's background. He's been so helpful. <laughs> he's been, I, I just met him, and he's offered whatever resources he has, his expertise and experience. And I've, this is the kind of people we want to partner with, you know, That's people right. that are not just in it for the money, but wow. you know, want to want to bring this industry into the 21st century. Wow. Yeah, it's good. Wow. He's a good one. Right. Um, Steve Leeds, another one out there. You oh, need to get him up here. Oh, yeah. Wow, with the stories he could tell. Oh, yeah. I love <laughs> just listening to that guy talk. I can just listen to him talk. Yeah. Right. Uh, Skippo, what dropped out for you? From Man, the top. I mean, from from the backstory of of Anders and just just understanding this mind of, you know, I it's not nothing is good enough. I can always make something better. I can always improve on this technology. I can always find a way to make it more efficient. And not only that, but approaching it from a very creative standpoint. And then the Kinfrac technology, as far as that's what that is applied to modern day hydraulic fracturing. Yeah. I mean that that's that's really what dropped out of the show for me. Yeah. That it's like it's it feels like it's time. It feels like it's time yeah. to really follow a story that's ready to develop. You're talking about twelve to eighteen months. We can easily follow that story for twelve to eighteen months and find out who was the investor, who did it, who was the guy that said I'm doing it, and who wh who started the science, who did the first frack. Like we can develop that whole story, and mm -hmm. that would be incredibly on. It would be we would be beyond honored to do that. Might be in some textbooks someday. Man. Oh yeah. 
Wow. For me, there was a, there was a ton there with the, the whole story of, of the legacy of Ed Anders and how the person of him was. But I think it's more about you and Elizabeth and you guys reaching out in the way that you did at the time that you did. Like, it's, it's now. It's really now. You're, you're excited when you talk about him and talk about where the technology is. We can find investors. We can do this. I think we found the team. We're building it. This is the first of many PBE lives. I hope you come back. Thank you. <laughs> you, you can thank my wife for reaching out. She's really good about that. She, you know, you can see what our... Yeah! You can see what our motivation is. It's not financial. It's, it's, it's a family thing. It's a family legacy. We don't want to see this game-changing technologies just languish because we don't know what to do with it. So we're willing to have people come alongside of us that have expertise and, and they're going to be rewarded in a tremendous way. Wow. Three, Three two, two, one. Let's go! Yes, I'm the host of the PB podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, and joined by, of course, the co-host, Matt the Skip Scipione. And we have today Ken Frack. Sir, talk to me about coming to Midland. Dude, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to be back. Yeah. It's really good to be back. Spending three and a half years here, and then, you know, uh, you know obviously right before COVID, things kind of turned for the worse, yep. but uh, opportunity arose elsewhere, but, you know, it's so good to be back it's so good to see that the city is alive yep. it's good to see the traffic back i mean i waited for the light to turn for five minutes at wadley and <laughs> that, that was that was a great feeling to see again because right before i left you just go right you blow right through it but it, Dude, it I feels was, good i was driving in and i've flown in and out of midland for many years but i was driving in and i was telling my parents that aren't familiar i'm like if you could just go up like 300 feet from where we're at you would see oiled pump jacks in every direction, all yeah. directions for as far as you could I see. I mean, when you fly in, that's yeah. all you see. I mean, it's like it looks like a grid system when you're yeah. flying in. It's that's exactly it, yeah. what it is. It's a grid system that's unlocking this amazing, efficient energy that is universal in substance and it un, it completely reliable. Mm -hmm. And that's the grid system. You're looking at how these operators were strategically removing that from the subsurface for us to have efficient energy to move forward and progress. Mm -hmm. That's what you were looking at, man, when you are yep. flying in. That's the Permian Basin. Yep. Amazing. And innovation is born here. Mike Verhooks, thank you for joining this show. Thank you. We drove here from Arizona, and I think my wife saw some a lot more oil wells than she ever imagined. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we're excited to be here. I can almost well, I literally feel the electricity in the air. I, in fact, I think we might have a short. It, <laughs> did they wire my chair or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, uh, before we get started, my wife Elizabeth and I would like to thank you, Troy, Skip, what do you call them? A train? A train. The whole PBE crew and your sponsors for putting this on. This is a. We're behind this 100%. We think wow. you're, yeah. what you're doing here is a great thing. Thank you, Mike. That really does mean a lot. It means a lot. And, you know, we, just a quick introduction, and we'll get started on the story behind Kinfrak, the story of the legacy of Ed Anders. Uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible story. But for us at PBE, it's been a wild year. We kind of spanned off and went into mining. We did oil and gas. We were trying to kind of find ourselves in this geoscience niche that we we're in as a podcast and keeping it engaging. 
and then BRT Energy Advisors reached out, and we started yeah. BRT. They reached out. We started doing shows, and we started seeing that. Whoa, this is definitely a comeback. This yeah. is definitely there's there's a shift coming back. This is exciting. And then out of nowhere, I get a, a, a an an email, and I wish I could read it because I had chills as I was reading it for the first time. I was literally standing in the office. It was from the account in LinkedIn from the legacy of Ed Anders, and I thought. Oh, Ed Anders is like calling himself a legend or something. I'm going, okay, <laughs> let's see what this is. And I start reading this story, the story that you're about to tell us. And at the same time, I'm literally coming off of this excitement from BRT and these new shows and talking Scott Taylor, Mike Rains, these people that wanted to do podcasts. They're excited about what we're doing. That was all coming back. And then this story drops out. And I said, oh, my goodness, this is not just us, man. Mm -hmm. It is not just us. There is something much bigger than all of us that's pushing forward and that's coming together. And PBE is just this media. PBE is this ability to bring this network together to talk about real things, a real story, folks. I mean, I, I, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. Please tell us about the legacy of Ed Anders, Mike. Well, Ed is my father-in-law, my, my wife's father. She's out here in the audience. I don't know if you can see her in the crowd here, but um, uh, Ed w spent his life in the oil industry, and uh, for most of that time, he was uh, an active inventor. He holds uh, more than a dozen patents, U.S. patents, um, and he was, his mind was active right up until the end. He died in 2018 uh, at the age of 92, just after his 92nd birthday. Um, but he always considered his final uh, triumph the most important, and that, that was a, a patent that he received just before his death on a revolutionary fracking technology called Kinfrac. And at the opening of your earlier podcast, I don't think it was on this one, you mentioned that we need as an organization or as an industry to find innovative technology that will, one, give us better production, but two, reduce costs, and three, be environmentally more sensitive. And I'm sitting there listening to you saying, yes, that's, that's us, that's Kinfrac. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, I want to tell you about Ken Frack. Um, a little bit about the inventor. He was born in 26, 1926. So, wow. so he was a young man or just a child during the worst part of the Depression. He was born in Huntsville, Texas. Um, he was an only child until he was 13. That's when his younger sister was born. But he came from a musical family. They were very talented, and so was Ed. He could play a bunch of different instruments at a very young age. And an interesting story about him was he was invited by a Houston radio station at the age of six to come perform on their radio program. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And apparently one of his specialties was yodeling. Is that <laughs> right? What does yodeling sound I, like? I, well, the only guy that I've ever heard yodel that I thought was good was Jerry Jeff Walker. But How did that sound? Can you give us I, a little oh, yodel? Oh, no, and no. I a, knew a you were going to do that. I knew taste. you were going to try that. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, could, I could probably find the record. It's called uh, Night Rider's Lament. How does a yodel actually sound? I'm curious. Well, I like never yodel. got to hear Ed Yodel, but I'm sure it was something to behold. Who, who does? Lauren, can you yodel? I need an example. Yeah, Lauren, Lauren, please. Can, Lauren. Please. Yeah. I'm on it. Well, honestly, what is a yodel? Please. Please. <laughs> please. Please. One yodel. One yodel. <laughs> I, I don't think that was it. 
Dang I don't think it. that was it. That didn't sound like a yodel. I'm <laughs> throat singing. How do you? We have a volunteer, I think. <laughs> Audrey. Oh, yeah, we got it. We got it. <laughs> oh, that's that's uh, that's the the trolls. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Ed's Ed's family wanted him to pursue a musical career, but of course he had other ideas. And we don't know much about his high school years, but immediately upon graduating high school, he volunteered for service in the Navy. And this was in 1944. World War II was raging. He served on a destroyer in the South Pacific for two years. But he was a machinist mate. He worked down in the engine room. And I guess that's where he developed his passion for things mechanical and engineering. Uh, because as soon as he was out of the service after two years, he enrolled at Texas A&M on the GI Bill and uh, graduated with a mechanical engineering degree. Uh, Ed had this tremendous love and admiration for anything that had to do with A&M for his entire life. Uh, that was, that. yeah. I can understand it too. I went to Baylor, but uh oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, he was the first in his family to graduate from college, and he immediately went to work for a company called Mission Manufacturing in Houston. And most of his job with Mission for about the next 12 years was taking apart pumps on oil rigs and figuring out why they failed, how to fix them. He, he just... When you say pumps, you're talking electric submersible pumps? Well, not, just, not just, not just pump, pumps, but pumps. downhole tools downhole as well. Tools. Wow. Because uh, part of, many of his inventions had to do with new designs for downhole tools. Wow. He, he, he liked to look at things, take them apart, and figure out what made them fail and how to make them better. In wow. fact, he looked at the whole world differently than you or I would. Everything he right? looked at was... How can I do this different? How can I make it better? Wow. How can I, I optimize this? How can I make yeah. this more efficient? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He and saw I mean, a wheel and was like, there's got to be something yeah. <laughs> yeah. other he, than He a couldn't wheel. even talk to you as a normal person. He, he would say, I'm going to take this five and a quarter inch diameter, inside diameter pipe and put 12 pound mud in it. And I'm going to pump it through there at 88 feet per second. And this is to a guy he just met at the post office. <laughs> I mean, it was not. <laughs> it, 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 it's, <laughs> Anyway, he was a different kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, what were we talking about? So he worked uh, fixing pumps and uh, sand, sand problems uh, here in Midland for a while and in Hobbs, New Mexico. But eventually they sent him to South America. Elizabeth was just a child then. She was born in 54 and her brother was born in 56. So I think from 58 to 62, they were in Bogota, Colombia and Maracaibo, Venezuela. And uh, Ed got tired of the living in South America and having his family there. So he brought him back to Houston, quit uh, mission machines, uh, manufacturing, and went to work for Global Marine. And he worked for Global Marine until 1980 when he officially retired, but of course he never, he never really retired. But he, got, he worked his way up to being VP of Global Marine, and they lived in Newport Beach, California at that time. Oh, nice. So Elizabeth got to spend some of her teenage years in Newport Beach, and nice. she's, still, she's still, she's not a hippie anymore, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, she was going that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, during that time, he was more than just a problem solver. He started uh, issuing patents. They're having pit patents issued in his name. Most of them were you know, assigned to Global Marine, but they're in his name. He, in his lifetime, he, he developed more than a, a dozen patents. Wow. 
So, I mean, he has credentials. He has credibility. He was, he was a well-known figure in the industry. What was uh, he to you? You know, what did you mean? How old were you when you met I him? I was a Yankee. I, even though I, I grew up in Illinois, I was a Yankee to him. Because <laughs> anybody north of the Red River was a Yankee. <laughs> and I was, worse yet, I was a Yankee that wanted to marry his daughter. Wow. So, I mean, we had a relationship. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Ed officially retired in 1980 with a bunch of patents to his credit, but he didn't stop. He started writing technical papers and contract work as an advisor and consultant for Gulf Energy, Exxon, Shell. Uh, during that time, Gulf sent he and his wife Joanne to China, and they wow. th he did a bunch of technical lectures to the Chinese oil industry. Wow. Yeah, about so downhole pumps and everything he knew. Uh, wow. Everything he knew at that point about drilling and the and tools, drilling tools, and the problems wow. and mm -hmm. and fixes for them. So. Um, then in 1986, he developed or he started his own company, Anders Energy, and that was in existence till about 2000. But probably the high point of that time for him was in 1988. He developed a patent for a horizontal drilling method. I don't know if anybody will understand this, but he used a radius of curvature to do his kick out that was based on a catenary arch. And, and a catenary arch is when you take a, a string, say, and put it between two points, the natural curve that it forms is called a catenary. Okay. And okay. so he was able to go out here in Reagan County, the Proctor wow. number one well. He went down a mile and out a mile making that curve with his catenary curve that he'd calculated, and he turned it from the top the whole time. He didn't use a downhole mud motor or anything. Whoa. And at the time that he finished it, completed it successfully, never stuck the pipe once, it was one of the longest horizontal lateral sections that had been drilled to that time. I mean, this was in 88, 86, maybe. Oh, my God. And it was one of the first wells that was ever fracked. He told me some stories about how they fracked it once, and it's like the guys that came out to frack it didn't even know what they were doing. They were putting old pieces of tire in there. I don't, I don't even know. Yeah, it was weird. Um, but anyway, he, he eventually sold that patent to a company called Daily Drilling for several million dollars. Wow. And, um, and they use it successfully drilling a, at the time the longest lateral overseas for BP. Uh, wow. Daily doesn't d exist anymore, but they were bought out by Weatherford, who you're wow. all familiar with. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Ed had the credibility and a, a brilliant, fertile mind that never stopped. Uh, I can give you just a couple personal things that I remember about him. Uh, uh, during his kind of semi-retirement, he and his wife used to like to go out in their RV traveling around the country, and they wound up in Quartzsite, Arizona one time. Oh, and I know you're man. familiar oh. with Quartzsite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, listening to the locals there, they were talking about how there's a lot of placer gold out there, but they can't get it because... Placer gold mining needs a lot of water, and that's one thing quartzite doesn't have. <laughs> so Ed, you know, that, that was like, you know, you might as well just yeah. hit him with a cattle prod. Um, he put his mind to work, and he, he built a machine that I would liken to a big popcorn popper that you see in a movie theater yeah. that, that blows the kernels of pop popcorn out and leaves the kernels that haven't been popped down in the bottom. So we, would we, we were living in Bakersfield at the time. We met wow. Ed and Joanne in Quartzsite, and we would screen material through a screen and then take the screen stuff that was fairly small, throw it in this machine, turn the switch on, 
and all the sand and stuff would blow out, and what would be left at the bottom was gold and silver and lead the and heavies. hematite. It was cool. It was really cool. It worked. But at the time, gold wasn't worth much, and we found out that most of the plaster gold was on a pretty significant amount of overburden that would have had to have been removed. At a, yeah. at a, it was costly. So, you know, th he didn't patent that machine. and it, It's still out there. Maybe somebody's still using it for all wow. I know. But another thing that I did th that I remember about him that was unique was – he, w he didn't have any hobbies. His hobby was thinking and looking at the world differently. But he, for somehow, some reason, golf <laughs> stuck in his head one day. And, and to him, it was a physics problem of mass and velocity hitting that golf ball. <laughs> okay. So he devised a golf club that had a weight in the handle up in the shaft. And, and as you swung the club, the weight would move down inside the handle into the head of the club. So at impact, <laughs> you, you, had, you, you could still swing with the velocity, but then you had more mass. And, uh, and I convinced them that the USGA and the PGA probably would not approve that. <laughs> hey, wouldn't some money in a long drive We contest, all though. might be hitting it 400 yards <laughs> if I hadn't said anything. Yeah, so that, that was it, you know. He, 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 he considered Ken Frack his crowning achievement because he was a patriot. He, he wanted North American oil independence, U.S. oil independence primarily. Wow. And that's why we're trying to continue this legacy. He's, he built this thing that was his life's work, what he considered his life's work. He gave all the credit to God. He, he used to wake up in the middle of the night with answers to problems that he'd been thinking of. And, and we'd say, well, what happened? He said, well, God gave me the answer. So he was that kind of man. Yeah. And we want to see what, he, what his fertile mind produced brought to market because it's revolutionary game-changing technology. But my wife and I, you know, we're just caretakers of this inheritance. It, it's, a, it's a series of patents. Three of them have been issued. He, he, there were so many claims in the patents that he couldn't do it in one patent. They had <laughs> the patent office says, you can't do all this. You, you're going to have to do separate. So anyway, there's three patents issued, another one in the works in the U.S., and another one in the works in um, Canada because it has some specific application to the heavy tar sands there. Wow. So, I mean, it's just amazing what's in these patents but they're of no value to us. We're here to describe them to the industry, to your worldwide audience, and uh, see if we can find some people that want to partner up with us, come alongside, because yep. it's, a, it's a huge opportunity for somebody with vision. Yep. That's, that's what we're no trying to, that's what we're here it. for. No yeah. question about it. Yeah. We'll get into the investment opportunity of Kinfrak in the completion part of the show. So this is the conception part where we're learning more about the legacy of the man Ed Anders, this inventor, no. this guy that would the, look the at the brain a, behind yeah. this phenomenal technology. I'm looking at this beer bottle. I'm thinking, there's got to be another way to make this beer bottle. You know, <laughs> it's just, that's Ed Anders. It is. It is. And there would be a weight and a string, and I wouldn't even have to move my head. I'd just be drinking beers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how he made that radius of curvature based on a catenary? He yeah. calculated how much weight he would have to put on the drill head to make that pipe bend to the angle he wanted. I, I mean, it was just. Wow. Yeah. It just, he thought outside the box. Wow. Yeah. Well, you say outside the box, but at the same time, I was kind of overwhelmed with the idea that he was, he was kind of reverse engineering nature. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to do. Yeah. We, we are not in control of what our star and what this energy thing that we live on is in control of. We can't think better than it. All we, we, the best we can do is reverse engineer it. Yeah. 
Well, he had a toolbox of things he learned at Texas A&M, and he applied those in new ways. And that's all Ken Frack is. It's not theoretical, cutting-edge science. It's a known phenomenon that he that hasn't ever been used before. It's just a different application, and I'm excited to tell people about it. Um, right he. Uh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I looked out at my bride for a minute. And it's just, <laughs> it got excited. <laughs> 40, 46 it years, and it still, it still goes <laughs> it's on. It's still there. No, but I want to make an analogy about that bottle of water. Yeah. Anyway, l let me just tease you a little bit about how Kinfrac works. I, and I just want to leave people with a, if they leave with nothing else today, I want to put an impression in their head. And, and I'm simplifying it a little bit, but imagine you're standing here and this whole wall is glass thick thick glass not a pane of glass and you start pushing against it as hard as you can if if at some point you push hard enough there's going to be a flaw somewhere in it or a weakness or you're going to be strong enough to crack that glass but what the point i want to make is what does that crack look like what does that fracture pattern look like yeah there's going to be cracks in the wall of glass but there's also going to be huge portions of that glass that are left untouched. untouched they're yeah. not they're yeah. not cracked at all. That's conventional fracking to wow. me, to me. Wow. But with kinfrac, you're standing in front of that wall with a sledgehammer in your hand. Yep. And when you hit that glass, what does that fracture pattern look like? It's a spider web, intricate. Yep. I mean, it's huge. It's 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 step functions above the cracked glass another way to look at it is if you're driving down the road and a rock hits your car you're going to get a spider web and a little conchoidal fracture right where that rock hits and then over time these little cracks are going to migrate across really annoyingly across your windshield <laughs> yeah. those little cracks that go across your windshield that's conventional fracking that spider web where that rock hit that's kinfrac wow so wow. i mean there's yeah. a lot of implications that yeah. go along with if you can create a fracture geometry like that in a rock, how is that going to change everything? Your production, yep. uh, um, maybe even this is way out there, but how are you? You might be able to reevaluate the need for propens. I mean, wow! I, yeah, and you huh? get this kind of idea, you get this feeling from engineers and geologists and people that are in the industry. It went from there are all kinds of variety of the size of propent, and now it's like hundred mesh. They're like powdering the reservoir and yeah. the cracks, and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, so but they can only fill the cracks that they create. I mean, the only oh, the cracks that are there, we can make more cracks. And and if if you if you, I'll just use this term: if you pulverized a, yep. a unit of rock, made it essentially a rubble field with right. infinite paths for hydrocarbons yep. to travel down. Do you need a profit? I don't know. I well, don't know. I'm not a technical guy. I'm not an engineer. Um, well, my mind is turning because of just the stories that you hear. That it was near bore, near well bore complexity. Yeah. We wanted mm -hmm. to create fractures. Near well bore was one of these general ideas that was coming around. Yeah, we don't want these huge bi-wing fracks right. anymore. We want to just destroy everything around the well bore and yep. pull that in. Well, but let yeah. me introduce but you the, to Kinfrac. That's what it does. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's not only – we'll get into the specifics. If, if you're, are you done with uh, the yeah. legacy of Ed Anders? You want to talk about the patents? You want to talk about the technology? You want to talk about what yeah. this is? Okay, we are now moving into the drill down segment of the PBE podcast with Mike Verhooks and Skippo. 
And we started a podcast in 2019. We had no idea what we were going to do, but we had a unique network. That network ended up developing into what it is today. And what it is is our thoughts and actions together for the first time, recorded on a microphone, talking about ChemFrac with the best ideas that we can come up with for real-world applications. That's now the PBE podcast. We have now done this. Ken Frack and Mike Verhooks being on stage. We're talking about an, a no bullshit step change in the industry of the oil and gas. A step change in our industry, drastically increasing the performance of our wells, drastically increasing the economics of what we do. That's, that's what we're talking about. And you talked about this sledgehammer and hitting it. It's not, necess it's not just about making more space in the subsurface. There's a lot more going on. We have new revolutionary ideas on what, where did the oil actually come from? If you hydrogenate carriage and it makes oil, whoa. So now think about fracking with Kenfrac. You're putting CO2 and water, which is hydrogenated, into the reservoir. The CO2 is going into solution with the water, right? It's, yeah. it's going in, but it's So you're taking an incompressible medium and then you're making that medium compressible. Is that kind of the, the thought process yes, behind Yes, but it? the CO2 in the reservoir at pressure and at temperature and, and when in this process, it's changing the interfacial tension of water. We're now talking about, we're talking about quantum physics legitimately. We're talking about what happens when Water goes from a bubble sitting on a surface to doing that. That's what you're doing. That's what Kinfrac's doing. So when you're pressuring into a reservoir, the, you're not pressuring bubbles into the reservoir anymore. You have figured out a way to flatten the response. You increase the facial tension of the water, and now you're squeezing that into the reservoir. And not only is it getting better entry into the pore space, and into this very complex system of the unconventional reservoir, but you're hydrogenating it with the water. And then the CO2, just like when we open the can of soda, psh, so you have now it penetrated, and then psh, the CO2 wants to do something, and it's, what is it doing? It's creating this incredibly fractured, it's, it's creating this very complex fracture network right where you're wanting to penetrate as an operator, as a geologist, and it's, it's increasing the interfacial tension of water. And that was, that was never the original intention. I'll tell you, I'll describe in a minute here why we use CO2 in the process, uh, but it has a symbiotic uh, value from what I'm hearing from you guys. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, from what I'm hearing from you, it, it is a surfactant. It makes water uh. wetter. Uh, and and <laughs> so now, uh, the wet ability, the oil wet, water wet, that whole concept. I, I wish Mihai was here. That whole concept is totally unfamiliar. And you're changing it from oil wet to water wet, which means instead of a water against the surface and oil moving, I mean, instead of oil against the surface and watering moving through, it switches. It seems like water's at the surface of the rock and oil wants to move through. That's the basic idea of changing the wet ability of the reservoir. Whoa. So if I had an oil wet reservoir that was making a lot of water and I can now manipulate it to be water wet. Yeah. And you're doing it with, with the pressures and temperatures of what Mother Nature put together in the first place. Right. You're not going back in EOR technology zone. You're going virgin. You're going, it's ready to produce at what yeah. it does today. You can run the decline curves. You can get 1,000 barrels a day out of this well. 
can frack that thing and see what happens. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And I, we've got a hammer, and uh, and it's a hammer that we can control. We can swing it as hard as we want, and we can swing it as many times as we want. So describe the the process. Yeah, of I will. The, the yeah. Ken frack process. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Isaac Newton. Everybody's familiar with him. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of laws of motion studies back. 400 years ago, but he also did a lot of thermodynamic energy equations too, and they're still in the textbooks. So the current thermodynamic fluid flow energy equation has several terms in it, and current fracking uses two of those terms. It uses volume and pressure. We pressurize a non-compressible volume, and hopefully we can apply enough pressure with enough pumps on the surface that we can fracture a rock. All that Kinfrac does is use two new terms that have always been in that equation, but have never been used before for this purpose. Like I was saying, it's a, it's a well-known application. It's just never been applied in fracking. Um, the same could be said for the guy that was looking at a textbook one day and saw that the science of polarized light, and he thought, this would make a good pair of sunglasses. I mean, that, you know, that was always there, but he took it and applied it in a different way, and that's yeah. all that this is doing. You're so just taking this empirical equation, and you're using it in a real world. We're using yeah. two new terms. They're not new to the equation, but they've never been applied in fracking. The, the, the volume and pressure terms that are currently used is generally termed as flow work. It's, the, it's pressure times mm-hmm. volume. Yeah. We're using a term, the only term in that equation that has an exponent on it, and that is really significant because what we're doing is, it, rather than trying to build pressure in a well the conventional way, we're, instead we're circulating the drill fluid or the frac fluid down the well bore and back up the annulus. All we're doing is circulating that fluid. It doesn't take anywhere near that m- amount of equipment at the surface to do that, by the Whoa. way, so there comes the money savings. And then at a certain point, we have a downhole tool that when it senses the right velocity for the pressure we want to create, it slams shut abruptly. And all the force of that moving volume column of fluid in the well creates this tremendous pressure impulse. And this is where the gas comes in. The second term in the equation is a gas equation. That pressure pulse is instantaneous, virtually instantaneous. And and it has nowhere to go. And in an incompressible fluid, it would just ring back and forth, which is a familiar water hammer effect that you might have experienced sometime if you had bad plumbing in your house or a cheap motel like I stay in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That banging back and forth is due to some cavitation in the water, but the energy has nowhere to go. We We capture that energy by the introduction of those gas molecules just the way that energy is captured in a soda bottle when you shake it up with the lid on. We, we're creating a bomb that we can release in that, in that frack zone, wow. but it's one that we have total control over. If, if, you, if you shake that water bottle right now, that's, that's kinetic, nothing, nothing happens. That's kinetic energy, but there's nothing to store it. But what happens if you shake up a can of soda? You know, don't right. do it. Don't do it around me. That's that's kinfrac. We're using kinetic energy, the motion, the power of motion, and we're using the gas to kind of damp that big pulse that we create and store it, and it works by invading itself into the fractures that it's creating. 
and we can repeat that as many times as we want. We can dial it up or dial it down if we need more force, we need less force, and we can create many times greater force than conventional fracking. Yeah. At a, at a, so you're storing a that easier. you're storing all of that potential energy in the so gaps. you can hit basically close it off and hit one giant hammer opposed to just you know at the surface we're pumping it and this is the hammer that we have to use yeah. we can make mm -hmm. as big of a hammer as we want that's right that's okay. right and and some people wow. say oh man that's going to get out of control and you're going to blow up your equipment well no we don't have to do that if if we know what force it takes to get the results we want we tune the tool to produce that force but if if better tools are built in the future we're there we're ready we can we can create all we have to do this is the power of the v squared term the velocity squared because if you increase the fluid in the well in a linear fashion just increase the speed a little bit the power that you create wow uh develops exponentially wow so i mean it's really powerful um three to four times conventional fracking pressures I don't think is going to be a problem at all from tests that we've seen of just you know water running through a system and they close a valve wow not only is it more efficient way to break rock in the subsurface but you're changing the interfacial tension in the water too and you're hydrogenating the carriage and that's in the reservoir that's just a happy I, coincidence that's yeah. a happy <laughs> coincidence I think it's a strange coincidence that engineering and geology are now I'm, I'm, I'm saying whoa that that makes sense it makes logical sense what you're telling me and i am curious as a geoscientist to see what happens when this process takes place no question about well, it. well so are we and, uh, <laughs> you know the first thing we want to do is is do some computational fluid dynamic modeling which is going to tell us a lot but we can do a closed loop test we don't even have to be in a well and that's going to tell us a lot and then we can go to the industry with these demonstrable results and say you know what do you want we, we we'll do it for you it's uh, at a lower cost and an environmentally friendlier yeah method. wow yeah. tell us a little yeah, bit more so you so you you won't need the amount of pumps at the surface as well as you won't need the amount of water you know right. these the gas yeah. replace we're going to use about a third of the fluid is going to be gas so that's that would normally be water yeah yeah tell us a little bit more about the patents because the you're you're talking about oh, you own them you own the rights to create what you're saying right that's what we'll talk about in the investment side and the completion side of the show the patents were made when and what was ed's where was he at when he was making this patent kinfrac as it currently exists is a family of patents three of which have been issued and two more are currently being worked on they they'll be issued pretty soon the first one was issued in 2016 late in 2016 and ed passed away in 2018 so he was able to see the first patent come to fruition but there were so many ideas involved with these patents and so many applications not just in the field of geophysics or in oil and gas industry but in all the sciences that it's just necessary to have that many patents because there are that many claims with brand new applications. Ed, in his later years, had some heart problems and, and he had years of experience in breaking down pumps and analyzing them. <laughs> and, and he made this connection, what is the heart if it's not a pump with valves that open and close very <laughs> rapidly? And that's what Kinfrac is. And, and that's why we have a pulse because that, 
we we're creating that pressure, those those impulses, and that's that's what Kinfrac does. It's it's a it's the new heartbeat of the fracking industry. I just coined that term. Wow. <laughs> coined right I'll here on the PBE podcast. Yeah, you heard I'll it here first. No. I will absolutely yeah. take that. So. Wow. Okay, so the patents are in. Oh you, yeah, there's, there's yeah, three three patents. Three yeah. patents are in. Two patents are pending. One has uh, one is being processed in Canada because it has special applications for the thick oil sands in Canada. And I can't say any more than that. Okay, that's fine. Uh, okay, so the patents are in. The opportunity to invest. So you're now talking about the development of where it's at. You have the patents. You have the concepts. I support it geoscientifically as, as my curiosity, right? There's a lot more that needs to be done, and you can do those modelings. You can do the testing that starts suggesting that there is something more going on when you increase the interfacial tension of the water. There's something going on there. You may be not you'll be able to see it even with a microscope, but there's something going on. It's chemistry and physics. Everything is not physical. We're attracted to someone physically. Okay, but do you have the chemistry? Do you have the chemistry? What does I that feel even like I'm mean? On like an e do commercial. I have the chemistry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Skips, talk to me about the chemistry between you and your new girlfriend. It, this <laughs> chemistry is unfamiliar. Chemistry is different. Chemistry you can't see. Chemistry is something you feel. Chemistry is something that is there around us constantly. But we don't really understand it. But we do see the physics. We do see the physical response when these chemical reactions are happening, right? Well, I'm excited to be with this woman. I'm attracted to her physically. There's chemistry here. I'm excited. That's the. Calm down. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So we can't. The chemistry needs to be discovered. The chemistry needs to be focused on. That's part of the, a big part of this investment. I think for sure is the science. Why would this work? And how can it be more predictable, more repeatable, and more specific? How can it actually make that step change? I think we can figure all those answers out for almost nothing. I mean, wow. I mean, computer modeling and then a closed loop test. I, where we would inject gas into it, and and we we could we could have rock samples in there and and find out what's going on and. When you consider the investment to just do that little bit and maybe build a prototype tool compared to the potential payout for this thing, I mean, it's, it's inconsequential. So wow. we're, we're looking for, uh, my wife and I came here today because we, we want to honor her father's legacy, but we really feel like we came here with an opportunity for somebody, some man, some woman, some group of people to literally change their lives. I mean, that's how much we believe in this thing, and that's how big a step change this is over anything that we're currently doing. So I hope somewhere in your listening audience or somebody out here uh, no can, capture the, can capture the vision of this thing. And No question about it. I was told recently there was something like 2,700 ducks drilled but uncompleted wells in the Permian Basin yeah. right now, 2,700. Hundred of them. Well, that, there's a reason for that. I don't think they're. I think it's so expensive, that, and the results don't justify it anymore. I mean, I think people lost a lot of money fracking yep, wells. Exactly. Well, they didn't make a lot of money. Anyway. I mean, hey, they were drilling these wells to hold leases, and then all of a sudden yeah. they start developing the field, and you know the economics aren't coming back we can't the way they want. To frack it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Take a step back. Thank God for those wells and for that process, though, because I think that allows us to have even a more efficient approach to this. 
Find someone who has the duck. Find someone who says, I kind of have the money to make this work at $65 oil. Find that company that says, you know what? Let's do that one this way. Yeah. yeah. That's all it takes. I have a story I want to relate about that. And it's a story I heard. I don't know if it's true. It may be apocryphal, Elizabeth. It may be apocryphal. But it's, it's a story about Howard Hughes Sr. He bought the rights, supposedly, to the rotary drill bit from a guy in a bar for $200. Ooh, that's a good investment. The, and, and that drill bit <laughs> drilled through hard rock 10 times better, faster than anything they had at the time. And his son, Howard Hughes, that we all know, became the richest man in the world. And they still use that rotary bit. So I can say, I don't know if it's true or not, but the point I want to make about it is, I doubt that Howard Hughes Sr. was the first guy that that guy in the bar offered this concept to. But Howard Hughes Sr. was a guy with vision and some knowledge about it, some expertise, yep. and some wisdom and foresight. And I think that we have an opportunity. Uh, there's a lot of people that are going to say, no, that can't be done. But we know it can be done because it's not rocket science. It's just an application of a known phenomenon that hasn't been done before in this context. Wow. But I think we have an opportunity similar, similar to that to offer someone out in wow. your audience. Yeah, it's wow. pretty exciting stuff, really. Wow. It's just inflation, basically. A $200 investment, now it's $2 million. That's just inflation. <laughs> That's all that is. There's no difference. I'm not throwing out any numbers. <laughs> I mean, how, how could you calculate what the value of a brand-new fracking technology that is a oh. step change above what's being done now, what is the value of that? I have no idea. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So. Wow. And it's not just simply the engineering. There's so much more that aligns with these, these concepts. I'm yeah. so excited about yeah. that. Yeah. How do you want to go into the completion part of this, to this show? We're I think I about just did. I well, <laughs> no, we, 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 we've got – here's the beauty of it for investors or people that want to partner with us. We, we want to do this in tranches where the first thing we would do would be just some computer modeling that would cost almost nothing. And if that's successful, like we know it's going to be, then we'll spend more money on developing a prototype tool. And then we'll do some testing at like Southwest Research Labs, mm -hmm. you know, so some closed loop testing. We're not going to get a nest egg together of millions of dollars. We're going to take it slow, a step at a time. We're going to build on our successes. But even doing that, we think we can bring this technology to the marketplace where we'll be out here using it 12, 12 to 18 months from now. Wow. Wow. 12 to 18 months from now. Scott Taylor, tell me what the price of oil is in 12 to 18 months. You said 100. I feel you say 100. <laughs> 69. That's a good number. That's a good number. We'll, we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need oil to be as high as... 12 uh, to 18 months. What's the price of oil in 12 to 18 months? 65? 65. We don't, we don't need it to be 65. 100. 100. There we go, Mario. That's what I'm talking That's a PBE number right there. <laughs> We will be at 100. I do honestly believe that we are going to see a rapid change in price in a positive direction for these types of applications. I believe that's going to happen in the next two to three years. Major things are going to change. If everybody remembers last time, record prices, it, it's a similar story. So there's something going on here. 
And at the same time, there's a ton of new ideas that make sense. Now we just got to put the work in. We have to be, stay consistent. We ha- I mean, we're going to do a follow-up show with Wayne. I, 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 I should have mentioned him. When, when Ed drilled that horizontal well out here, he called his old alma mater, A&M, and said, I'd like to have an engineering student who wants to work during the summer come out and help me drill this well. And that man was Wayne Wisniewski. Wow. And, and they formed a lifelong friendship and, and mutual admiration from that experience. In fact, Wayne, after the well was completed and successful, cutting-edge stuff, he went to Ed and said, I don't want to finish my degree. I want to keep working for you. And to Ed's credit, he said, that was not the deal we made. You're going back and finishing your degree. Wow. Which was cool. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. So tell us a little bit. I can't talk about the technical stuff, but Wayne will do a future podcast. Yes, yes. Yes. we've been talking to Wayne. Yeah, we're going to dive into the details and and really, really break down the science in that podcast. No question about it. No question about it. Every detail of it. And we'll have a lot more on the geology side, a lot more about this idea and the, if you want to say it, a phenomena of what's actually happening when we CO2 flood, when we inject, when we increase oil recovery, when... Things are happening after we frack a well. We put all this pressure and hydrogen into the system, and it fracks, and it sits there, and then we pull it back. Why does that happen? Why is it that a petrophysicist or engineers can honestly say, I'm not, I can't quite calculate what just happened there? It's true. Those things happen. That's not a mystery. There's no mystery. We've lost faith in ourselves. That's all it is. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. So now we, are, we have this opportunity to get back to work. We have this opportunity to now go back into these areas with new ideas, new concepts, with the smartest people that are still in it, and we need it. We need it. That's, this is the show. And here's something else that I failed to mention that might attract some people's interest, according to Wayne. Um, apparently, one of the problems in current fracking is you you perf a section and you think you got a good perf job but when you analyze it after the fact some of your perfs are doing pretty well and some of them are not if you just used one pulse of kinfrac to clear out your perfs it would be a valuable tool just in that regard it would yeah improve perf performance re-entry stuff re-entry certainly opens that possibility wow that could be a really cheap way to try and Mm -hmm. test and and mess this up yeah Wow. But, you know, that would be just a brute force, one-time pulse of kinfrac. Yeah. Uh, remember, w- we, can, we can swing that hammer as hard as we want or as soft as we want and as many times as we want. So that would be a one-swing one thing. But, wow. you know, uh, kinfrac offers us the possibility to do so much more. Wow. Mike Verhooks. Wow. I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens. We're we obviously going to stay in touch. We will definitely do a more detailed technical show with Wayne. But we also, I, I really want to know better and, and kind of help develop this investment opportunity. How does it actually go? How do people get with you and talk to you about the details of what? Uh, thanks what for asking. The, probably the most important thing, and I forgot to even mention. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can look at our website, kinfrac.com. Pretty easy to remember. And there's a contact button there. Um, And we're we're open to all proposals. You know, this is this is the child of Ed Anders. It's it's his baby. And Elizabeth and I are caretakers. Um, We don't have the resources or the expertise to develop it. You can think of us as foster parents and we're looking for someone to adopt. 
Wow. To, to adopt this technology, make it their own. And I think it will be a life-changing experience. I think that whoever contacts us and gets involved with us is going to remember this podcast and this day for the rest of their lives. Um, it's it's going to be big. Wow. Mike Verhooks, thank you so much for joining thank PB you. Live. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. And we out. <laughs> thank you very much.